Hola, welcome to Sweat Hair with Mark Pollard. I have Samantha Hudes, who is the MD of DDB in Barcelona and was and kind of still is, right? The Chief Strategy Officer. We're going to talk about planners moving on up into management today. Welcome, Sam. Hey, how are you? Thank you very much. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Let's jump right into that topic. What do you think are the traits of a planner that can make a good managing director? Okay, I think that one of the, one of the main assets that a planner has to become a managing director is the strategic vision, of course, because I think that this is something that it's absolutely required to manage any kind of company, not only an advertising agency. So the typical business vision and, and customer orientation and the way we see, uh, you know, the way we see business models and so on, I think it's really, really helpful to be managing an agency. You know, it's, it's probably a natural step because of that. Because we're used to see, uh, you know, how, how a business is run, how the money is made, how the proposition of that business can be interesting for consumers or for clients or for whatever. So we, we have this natural skill. skill. Also, I think that we, we have something that uh, makes us suitable to do that job, which is curiosity. I think that we all, all planners are curious or most of them, or we should be curious because that's one of the of the assets of a good planner. And I think that when you have curiosity and when, you have, when you're interested, genuinely interested on people, I think that it's easier to, to do this role because maybe like 70% of the work that a managing director is doing is uh, dealing with people, uh, human resources, talent management, um, helping people to develop uh, within their careers and that kind of stuff. And that, you know, that requires a lot of interest on people and what motivates them, what is, a, what is key for them, where it's great for them. So, and I think that this observation skill that normally a planner has, it's good to identify what your employees need, what your employees want, what the people in the agency are feeling, what do they need to be happier in their positions. I think that this is also a, a good thing that uh, planners normally have and that it can be very helpful uh, within a management role uh, as, a managing, as a managing director. Mm -hmm. And then what are some of the challenges that some planners mm -hmm. would face in that evolution? And there was a spate of you know, reasonably well-known planning people moving into managerial roles. There was J Jeremy Nicholas in BMF in Sydney, Sadiq Cohill at uh, Droga 5 in Sydney, uh, as well as I think could be in Silverstein and various, various other places. This transition has happened before. It doesn't always work out. What, what are some of the things that are new to a planner who moves into that role and specifically what are some of the, the new things that they confront that might actually be quite difficult for them? Mm -hmm. Well, there are lots of new things. I, I would say that probably this is the biggest leap that you can do in your career and not only in terms of like position, also in terms of the kind of uh, skills you need and the kind of things that you're doing. The first thing that we planners or that people that have been a lot of time in planning and so on has to face is that, you know, we, we're very stick to planning many times, no? And, and when, once you step into one of these roles, you need to, I wouldn't say forget what you have been doing, but you need to move on. 
many times we're very passionate planners about our jobs, about, uh, you know, about the work we do for our clients. And we risk to be still immersed on that. So to be like too focused still on strategy and not enough focused uh, in our new role, I would say. You know, that's probably that's one of the things that I've seen like, you know, in, in some cases that I know uh, about planners that are uh, moving up in this position. I think that the, the, the hardest thing for me, it's been that and also for, for many of us, it's just this, you know, this issue you know, that we're very stick to our clients' problems and, and so on. And we need to understand that we're moving up, that we need to have a wider perspective I would say we have to worry about other kind of things that we normally don't worry about. You know, an agency is a complex entity. Uh, it's very changing. You know, when, when we are working in strategy, normally we're very focused, probably in, I don't know, many, many different problems of our clients, but, but we're focused. Once you go into a, a management position, you get into, a I would say, a huge system of elements that come from many different areas, that come from many different origins, that come from many clients, that come from also from the inner forces of the agency, also from financial guys. No? That this is a chapter that we will open after this one, but I think that this kind of multitasking and also being like spreading your uh, attention and talent within so many different problems, it's something that Sometimes it's hard to face, no? Because, of course, planning people are multitasking and, and we're used to work within several projects and so on. But the amount of small things that happen in an agency and that you need to solve is huge. And sometimes, you know, we don't have that discipline of the details, you know, like little things that you need to solve. You need to solve quick and, and you need to have an answer and, and, and so on, no? So this is also a, a topic that it's hard to face sometimes, this kind of change of perspective, no? like going into the small things which are super important and sometimes as, as strategists, you know, we, we, we have a broader picture, we have the bigger, the bigger picture and we don't get into that little details that are important as managing directors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then, of course, I was mentioning the financial chapter, which I wouldn't say it's rocket science, and, and many, many planners are used to, to deal with uh, numbers and figures and, and so on, so it's not that difficult, but what is difficult is to keep the, I would say, to keep the discipline of the, of the numbers, no? and to have a fluid relationship with the CFO that you normally have, like, absolutely different interests and, and so on. And it's hard to find, you know, to find that balance, you know, with the numbers and also with the, uh, with the reality of the business because sometimes we, strategist people, we, we tend to be idealistic, no, in terms of, you know, a little bit like creatives, maybe a little bit more realistic, but we have this, I would say, this vision of the business, no? And sometimes when we have to face that financial reality, things get a little bit complicated at the beginning. And this is one of the, I would say, one of the hardest things that we need to, to get used to, probably. Mm -hmm. And what does an average week look like for you? Where is your focus? That's, that's a great question because, I, and it's a great change too, because uh, when I was in planning, my schedule was a little bit more predictable predictable, I would say, because more or less I knew that I had to maybe deliver two, three, four projects, presentations and discussions, meetings and so on. So my schedule was pretty clear. And when you become managing director, your schedule is like an open book that can change 
from, I don't know, from the morning to the midday. And, and it's like constant and, and very dynamic. You turn into someone that it's like at disposal of your colleagues to solve, you know, urgent issues, urgent matters, like problems come out and you need to be there. And sometimes, of course, like, you know, it's small problems, like people need to solve a human resources thing, someone that is living from the agency, that kind of problems, you know, it's that's something that it's very unpredictable and that really transforms your, your week, no? And of course, I think that, that this is something that at the beginning it's, it's hard to deal with. Then you, you develop some mechanisms like protecting some spaces of the schedule, leaving some blank spaces for you because I think that one of the big challenges that we have and things that we have to do is that, uh, you know, we, we need to think about how to evolve the agency, how to strategically open new things, new clients, new businesses and stuff like that. And, and if you don't dedicate time to that and you just keep on like solving last minute problems, you risk to lose focus and to lose the realm of the agency. So, uh, you know, I'm developing some, some, this kind of tricks, no, like leaving blank spaces sometimes, you know, using more my, my agenda, my schedule in order to, to cover topics with people that maybe it's not urgent, but it's important. So I think that this kind of thing, it's, it's also one one of the big changes of the of mm. this position. And do you have a certain structure or rubric or mnemonic that you use to get quick clarity or a quick sense of what's going on? So for example, people, product, profit. Do you have anything like that where you're like, okay, what yes. do I need to think about today? What is it? Yeah, well, uh, people, product, profit, it's like the typical axis that, for instance, we report this way when we we talk with uh, you know headquarters and 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 also in internal meetings and and so on so it's the three pillars that we review at the agency product is something that it's absolutely shared with our cco of course as a as an md you need to be discussing constantly what's the product performance in the agency talent is and and people is something that it's really i would say that it's really an obsession for an md because it's that's the secret of an agency working well you know the type of people that you have in the agency uh, the type of talent that you're that you're hiring and profit of course it, it's the end line no and it's really important no and and of course in today's agencies and also being part of a of a global network and and it's something that it's it's important and of course you need to to achieve no that uh, an agency that uh, yeah, that's amazing work has also to be prof profitable and this is something that as an MD you need to know you need to know that makes a difference no so so yeah that kind of structure helps also we have well or I have like tricks like having for instance scheduled meetings with key people within the agency and also keeping like little spaces in order to talk to new people or people that are living because they can give you also their point of view and, and a constant feedback about what's going on within the agency. Our agency, for instance, is big. We're like more than 200 people. There's one point that you, you don't even know, well, big for the for the sizes in Spain, I would say. Of course, you, you guys have bigger agencies, but it's big enough not to maybe not to be sure about everybody's names, no? And if you don't take your time to stop by and to talk to people and to know what they need and to know what they want and to know how they're feeling within their daily work, what's going on also with their accounts, what's going on with their, I don't know, with their projects and stuff like that, you, you lose a little bit of, of the vision of what's going on, no? So yeah, within, within that, I would say that that's one of the tricks too, no? Keeping spaces to, to talk to people. This 
might seem like a strange question, so I'm curious to see how you handle it. Why were you made managing director? I think that we're, we're in an industry that needs to change uh, in some parts. And, and, you know, we have consultancies threatening our space. We have clients questioning our value. You know, uh, we have evolved uh, our structures, but I think that not enough. I think that this is one of the things that made me think that I could do something good for the agency on that position, no? to have more vision on how an agency has to evolve and more, I wouldn't say power, no, but because everybody in a, in a, in a modern structure, everybody should have the power to, to raise these kind of topics. But I thought that I could have this influence on what was the, the evolution, on what it has to be the evolution of the agency. And I think that also what really attracted me and what I think it can attract to a strategic person in, to, to become an MD, I think it's also having a wider perspective no? and seeing some things that we don't see in, normally in the agency as, as strategists. I think that this was something that re- was really, I would say, a motivation for me. No? How would you describe the strategic vision of DDB Barcelona? We're uh, we're a super creative agency that also obsessed with strategic, I would say, strategic sense. No, like touching consumers in not only communication, also within experience. We're also opening uh, a big, I would say, a big a big part of our business into that, going into into designing experiences. Because I think that more and more the lines among digital world, communications, experiences, purchase experiences are absolutely blurred. And I think that as an agency, we need to open open up to this kind of thinking. No, I, I think we're, we're, we're a create, super creative agency, I would say, with this super strategic vision. No, uh, We were chosen as the agency of the year in the efficacy awards. So I think that and this creative, creative effectiveness I think that this is something that really is a mark for for DDB Barcelona Mm. and for DDB Spain too. And how does DDB Barcelona fit into DDB worldwide? And a a second question is, can you help me understand how Barcelona interacts with the world? Are there certain cities in other countries where there's a more natural exchange that perhaps, you know, being in New York, I wouldn't necessarily expect or get exposed to in, in such a way? What's the, the kind of global purview of DDB Barcelona and also Barcelona? Yeah, well, let's start by, by the city itself. Um, Barcelona is a, is a creative hub. Barcelona is a city that embraces design that was the initial city of advertising in Spain. It's been a creative hub for many, many years. I think that the, the position of the city between the sea and the mountain, also the people like Dali, Gaudí, this kind of art uh, representatives and, and this kind of uh, characters, I think that shaped Picasso also lived in Barcelona and created a lot in Barcelona. I think that they shape the way, uh, the way that we Barcelonians are and the way that we see the world and, and how we interact with this creativity, which is something that it's super Mediterranean and that it's super natural to the aim and spirit of, uh, of the Barcelonians. No? A part of that, I think that, uh, you know, we, we're hosting events like Mobile World Congress and also, uh, you know, Barcelona is a startup hub and, and many, many technological and creative 
technological companies are starting and headquartering uh, their their you know their ventures in in the city. And it's a very sexy and interesting city, lively. I would say that very cosmopolitan because we we. Well, there are many, many foreigners, people living in living in Barcelona. I think it's an attractive place for the weather, for the type of city, which is like not big, not small, like 2 million inhabitants, uh, 2.5, counting the, you know, all the metropolitan area. So it's a city that has this sexiness and that it has this creative spirit, no? And and. Design also, as I was mentioning to you, is something which is natural in the city and, and, and be working with this beauty and with this type of environment. It's really attractive for, create, for creativity. Mm-hmm. I think that within the ADB group, we are one of the fastest growing offices in the world. Uh, we are also working globally for clients from Barcelona, uh, for clients like Audi. And for clients like SEAT, we have a, a hub called Catorce uh, that serves uh, SEAT globally. Uh, so uh, I think that it's absolutely proven that from a tiny corner in the Spanish geography and the European South, uh, you know, international and global work is produced and it's done. And it's, you know, uh, our work is, is like, you know, crossing borders, not only in a European cosmos, also in a global cosmos, no? Um, I think that Barcelona is a, is a very attractive city for, for talent also. It's not difficult to hire global talent because the, the offer of the city, it's, it's amazing, no? Like you, we were talking about the weather just before and now we have like 10 degrees. I, I think it's, you know, it's uh, compared to, to how cold it is now in the States or in other places. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a great place to live and mm-hmm. it's something that really attracts people from many places in the world. Mm-hmm. And can you pinpoint any differences in the type of creativity and the business culture between Barcelona and Madrid? Well, I would say that probably what makes us different is the type of clients we have uh, naturally in the city. And I think that this is something that applies not only to Madrid and Barcelona, applies to many places in the world. We're more similar than, than we think. Now it's a moment to put walls and to talk about differences and to talk about immigration and that kind of stuff. But I, I think that, you know, human beings are more similar than what many people say. If I have to say, to you know, to put my focus on differences, as I was telling you, I think that the type of clients shapes a little bit these differences. No, Madrid has more like, I would say, like utilities clients, telco clients, and Barcelona has more FMCG clients, no? FMCG and automotive, that's a typical industry from Barcelona. And Madrid is more into, uh, you know, elect- electrical or power companies, telco companies. And this shapes a little bit the kind of communication that you do, no? So I would say that probably that's the main main focus. Then culturally, I, I would say that probably Barcelona is a little bit more European in terms of schedules, in terms of way of living. We're a little bit more boring than people from Madrid, uh, I have to say. Madrid is more lively and, and it's very exciting. And every day, you know, in weekdays, uh, everything is, you know, uh, happens later than in, in Barcelona. But I think that we're, we're pretty similar. Probably Barcelona is also more cosmopolitan, I would say, that we have more foreigners living in Barcelona. But, you know, both cities have commonalities and similarities. Mm. And can you, like, I have a lot of blind spots with the Spanish-speaking world, which is obviously a massive world. And it's, you know, I think through schooling, I learned a little bit about Australia. I learned a bit about 
England and the royalty in England over the centuries. I learned about the world wars, usually with a focus on the Australian involvement in those wars. Every now and then, maybe there was a very small project on um, Brazil, which I know is not Spanish speaking, or uh, Mexico, right? But in general, mm -hmm. it, it was a pretty English and Western European centric, Northern European centric education, I feel. But, you know what? I would just say it's an, it was an English, an England centric yeah, yeah. education. And as I get older, I'm like, oh my God, there are all these interesting ways that people see the world, move around the world, exchange ideas or movies or books. I have huge blind spots with the Spanish speaking part of the world. How does Barcelona and either through the city or through DDB, how do you interact with the rest of the Spanish speaking world? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. In fact, we, uh, and also from, from Madrid too, and we, we both offices, we are very connected. We have common and transversal management. We're very connected to the Spanish-speaking world and to Latin America. We, in fact, belong to uh, DDB Latina, DDB Latina, which is um, a cultural region within DDB mm. uh, that groups all the Spanish-speaking countries and also Brazil, so the Latin culture, the Latino culture. And we're very proud of it. Our, our leader is Juan Carlos Ortiz, who is a Colombian, born in Colombia, uh, living in Miami, guy and he really you know he really promotes that latino feeling within the network and of course there are like natural business opportunities for instance we work for bbba from from madrid which is a bank that has a lot of presence in, in latin america and it's one of the main banks in in the latino ecosystem that gives us an advantage no because we have a common language and we have a common understanding of culture so uh I would say it's a, it's a discovering, no? When you realize that, no? As, as you were saying, that you had this like super English focus. For us also, uh, probably now it's changing a lot because also we have lots of Latin American people also living in, in Spain, many Spanish people living in Latin America. And I feel that there is a, a wider connection than there was like 20 years ago. And lots of business opportunities like cross business we have mexican companies uh, in spain we have spanish companies in i don't know in colombia in mexico in in many places colombian companies here um, brazilian also the with brazilians is, is important it's a whole ecosystem and it's it's magic and, and amazing and and yeah as i was telling you from the ddb perspective for instance we we really believe in this culture and in this um you know, in this fraternity of the Latino world. Hmm. Uh, see, I don't mind ignorance and I don't mind stating my own ignorance, but I do have an intellectual panic when I realize that I've been in ignorant about something because I'm like, oh my God, I only have one lifetime to learn about all this stuff. Where do I start? And I, I get a little bit panicked and excited all at the same time. So it's a, an energetic electric, electric form of ignorance that I, I boast of as opposed to ignorance as a an end point. Um, tell me a little bit about the first few months of you in this managing director role. How did you approach it? What did you learn? And what changes did you try to implement? You know what? I, I didn't realize at the beginning. That's, it's very shocking. I think that you have this excitement at the beginning. Excitement, I would say, of the ignorance, I would probably say. Uh, and you're so excited and you're like, everything's new and you have so many, you know, you see so many new things you really get to learn how, how an agency works, you know, how it really works. And, and you're very, very excited at the beginning. So you don't realize about what you don't know. I would say that probably this kind of 
maybe this frightening comes a little bit later, like maybe after one year or something like that, or a little bit less in your position, you start to realize how impactful are some of the decisions that you take. At the beginning, you're a little bit like, you don't want to see the, I would say, the abyss and the void you go and you just, you know, just take decisions many times without overthinking. And then you start to realize how impactful it is. And then you start to to be, I wouldn't say scared because you, you, you cannot be, you, you cannot be scared. You don't have to have fear, but because it's in the end, it's it's only work. But you start to realize how impactful it is, and and then you start to say, hey, hey, be careful. You know, you, I need to think twice about that. So I I feel I was a little bit more, you know, more intuitive at the beginning, and now I tend to be a little bit more take more reflection on some things to say, hey, let's let's call this and let's take the decision, I don't know, in a couple of days because that's really important. I would say that probably this this kind of uh, ignorant feeling, you, you realize how ignorant you are uh, when you've been like maybe a little bit in the position and you say, hey, you know, I, 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 I know nothing hmm. and I should know many things and I don't know them. So it's good to keep this humility on, on the other side, no? That puts you a little bit on the ground and, and, and helps you to take better decisions and not to underestimate some of the decisions you have to take or, or the influence that you can have in, in, in people. Mm-hmm. It's, it sounds like you're describing that four-step phase of going from unconscious incompetence where you just don't know, you know, you're having fun. And that's actually, that's a really powerful state as long as you're not having negative effects on people, because when you just don't know whether you're good or not, and you just go do stuff, that's amazing. That's amazing. You know, again, as long as it's not negative towards people and then you reach conscious incompetence where you're like, Oh gosh, now I realize that I don't know. And I don't always know what I need to know, but let's work through it. Then you go to conscious competence and then finally unconscious competence so uh, a man like Lionel Messi has unconscious competence probably doesn't even need to open his eyes as he, as he plays football can you tell me a little bit about planning in bus Barcelona how, how would you describe the state of strategy or planning there and is it any different to anywhere else in the world well probably the difference is that and I would talk about Spain generally with that not only Barcelona Probably the the difference to I, I would say maybe Italy or maybe other countries in the southern Europe or maybe France and so on. I would say it's not it's not different. It's probably pretty much the same. We have people from uh, we have a, an Italian head of planning uh, now in Barcelona. She's the one running the strategy, and she's she's great. And she you know the way of working it's it's very similar to what the way we naturally worked in Spain. So uh, probably there's there are lots of uh, commonalities no and and since you know also we're doing this international work so we we do we work probably the same way probably the the main difference is on the amount of planners no like the number of people i see my colleagues from adam and eve in london and the strategy department is it's big you know it's huge compared to to a strategy department in a spanish agency we have i would say probably if we add up all the strategic profiles uh, in the in DDB Spain, maybe we have like 10, 12 people probably, no? something like that, which is a lot for the Spanish market. Maybe a little bit more like adding up, you know, data profiles and so on. Maybe, yeah, up to 15. But maybe in, a, in an agency in London, an agency of our size would have like probably 
double or triple planners, no? Mm -hmm. Because that's something that it's, I wouldn't say more accepted because planning is absolutely required by clients in, in, in Spain now. And you cannot go to a, a decent client and without strategic person. But the, the amount of people, it's, it's still something that I would say it's, uh, it's, it's probably different when you compare it to, you know, to the mecca of planning, no? like mm. UK or I guess in the States, it's, it's not the same as in London or the same as in UK, but it's different. No, it's, it, strategy departments are bigger than, in, than, than, than here in, in Spain. Last topic I want to talk to you about is being an MD in a global network and trying to understand that what kind of autonomy you have in your own office where sometimes I see CEOs or managing directors as they're definitely more than group account directors, right? And I don't mean that in a negative sense, but I, I think there have been times when I've worked in agencies and I've overestimated the power of the CEO in the local office to actually change anything. And over recent years, I hear stories about how there've been so many mandates coming out of Paris or Chicago or New York or parts of China, for example, or Tokyo about how to conduct business. Do you have much autonomy in the way that you bring to life DDB Barcelona? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, of course, there's control, I would say, in a, in, not in a negative way. And there's a surveying and there's a following. And, and, and of course, you need to report because you need to ensure that things are working properly. And of course, you have some financial goals and you have some figure goals and stuff like that. But the type of decisions that you can take, the amount of movements that you can do is really wide. No, I think that, of course, you need to be creative uh, in order to, um, to invent and to create and to change things with, of course, some, some of the, I would say, some borders or some limitations. But there's a lot of space and there's a lot of room to, to think about things, to propose new um, new businesses where the agency can get into new ways of working. I'm, I'm, very, I'm optimistic and I tend to see what I can do and not what I can't do. Of course, uh, being in a network has some rules of the game and some rules that you have to follow, but it has a lot of advantages too, no? in terms of knowledge, colleagues from other places that can give you ideas and that can give you examples about decisions, managing the decisions that they have taken and that help or that bring growth to the agency. Sometimes when, you know, and, and it's probably it's not the same scenario when the agency is working well and of course you have more autonomy. This is our case. We're in a good situation. So probably my, my speech wouldn't be that optimistic if we were in a, in a situation with uh, bad figures and, and so on that we would probably notice more the, the influence of the network in a negative way. But of course, I, I think it's good to have some mechanis mechanisms that help in terms of control and, and, and financials especially. But there's a lot of room to invent and there's a lot of room to, to improve. Okay. All right. Last question. I did say last topic, but this is last question. Imagine that you now have the ear of someone who's considering whether to make a push, however they do that, into a management role from a, a head of strategy role. Mm -hmm. And part of what they're trying to think through is how much they're prepared to not be in the strategy work anymore and to be in the business of the agency. How would you help someone navigate that question and their decision? Wow, it's a hard question. I think that this is something that probably you don't know it in advance. 
it's it's hard to say yeah because you can do like this whole movement to step into this new role and so on and then realize that maybe this is not what you really wanted no that you know that sometimes uh when you wish something it turns into reality and it becomes a problem no and and you need to be ready to do these diagnostics if if that happens to you no that to you know i did this job i tried i succeeded but maybe i want to go back to what i did no Mm, I, I think that mm, we're very lineal sometimes with careers and with uh, personal development. And sometimes, why not? You know, it's good to step into, into a lateral world. It's good to step into uh, something that you did before and that made you very happy. Mm-hmm. And why not? I think that, that when you face this question, you need to be, again, no, ready to experiment what's new and to focus on what's new to park nostalgia and to park this uh, because otherwise you will you will not enjoy it and of course to be ready to to face um, I would say delicate problems no because when you have to take decisions that affect people and so on it's not the same as you know as yeah doing an amazing strategy uh, you're touching something which is absolutely real no and and you need to be aware of that many times you will have to take not many but you will have to take some decisions that will make people very happy or that will hurt people and and you need to be I would say psychologically ready for that yeah Look, I, I really do feel the truth in your response that it's it's hard to know in advance. And that's the kind of response that I want to help get more into public because I feel a lot of people in the agency world are very guarded, very there's a lot of corporate PR going on. And we therefore think that there's this linear progression and that to not progress is almost is, is failure to some degree, and that I've got to always look at what's next. But sometimes you take that step and you're like, oh, you know what? I really do like writing creative briefs or doing research or being out of the office, talking to people. And you know what? You can go do that. You can go do that instead of the role that you've taken. And that's not failure. It's just different. It's all part of the experience. So it's hard to know in advance is, is a truth that so many other people would share. But for some reason, I don't think that's a common truth that people would expect to hear from someone who's at your level and in your kind of role. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Welcome. Sam, where can people find you on the internet? Well, uh, mostly on LinkedIn and also in, you know, and within the DDB uh, Spain page. And well, yeah, that's mostly the places that you can, that you can find me. And, you know, also in Instagram lately, because I am really addicted, I would say. Twitter also, but, you know, I don't have that much time to tweet now and that worries me a little bit uh, but I try to you know I try to stay curious to to still follow you know my friends interesting articles and and so on so uh, that's mostly the places where you can find me mm. uh, and, and I don't know if it exists but there's probably an opportunity for a planners who run agencies Facebook group or sub sub community somewhere because uh, there are definitely a lot of planners popping into those roles, but just because they are, if you're listening, just because they are popping into those roles, it doesn't mean that you have to do that. It doesn't mean it's going to be right for you. So go in with wide eyes, open ears and a compassionate heart and you work it out and you've always got people around you to help you work out what to do after that or to succeed as you do it. Isn't that right, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's good. It's good to rely on other people. That's super important. And this is something that maybe didn't mention it on the, on the talk, but you know, sometimes we planners get very obsessed, like, you know, in, within individually and, and so on. 
and and you need to be a really a team player when you're when you're doing this kind of role so think about the others you know uh, ask for help when you're lost that's super you know it's super good to say hey i know nothing about this and to be humble and to try to make the others as happy as you can awesome sam thank you so much for joining me on sweathead today best wishes in your relatively recent new role uh, may you continue to lead and plan and plan and lead and, and do great work thank you for joining me thank you very much thank you peace